Do you know where you are, gentlemen? Think it through. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, being you're not from around here, and say you figured you're in the middle of nowhere. But everything out there, to everything out there, is the most Pelgo territories. And these stripes indicate I'm the marshal of said territories. Now, I don't know what arrangements you have with the authorities in Mos Espa, and let's be honest, in Mos Eisley, anything goes. But out here, I'm the one who tells folks what to do. I didn't see what's in that chest. And consequently, no laws have been broken, far as I'm concerned. If you gentlemen load up your wares and head back to where you came, we can chalk this one up to you guys reading the map wrong. Think it through. Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 129th Jedi Temple building episode of MandoVision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small independent Star Wars podcast. How is everyone doing today? It is Book of Boba Fett Wednesdays. We are here with our day of review and reaction and, and all of it. So many thoughts, so many emotions, so many things to kind of cover with this episode because, ooh, ooh, there's a lot to talk about. There, there's so much, there's almost too much to talk about with this episode of the show. Uh, good and bad. Uh, and when I say bad, I mean, I mean that kind of like, like you know, not bad, but, you know, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it uh, because that's what we do here, all right? We're going to have a nice discussion. We're going to talk about those highs and lows. And, and you know, I say that, I say the highs and lows, and I need to fully acknowledge that I watched this episode basically grinning ear to ear uh, the entire time. I, I was really delighted with so many aspects of it, but there, there are there's some some complexities to this episode that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. And we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna pull that apart. We're gonna get into it, uh, and, and and in a thoughtful, respectful manner, uh, because again, we we love I love this show. Uh, I'm glad this show exists. But again, there's there's things to talk about, 
and, and that's what we want to do. All right? So remember, the best way to reach out to us, especially if you disagree with me on my thoughts on this episode, hit me up on social media over at Mando underscore Vision, Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If possible, we're so inclined. Remember, five-star reviews are an insanely great way to, uh, to help us defeat the tyranny of the algorithm. And we need that. We need to defeat the algorithm. Thank you so much for your very time and your efforts. So yeah, it's it it's Boba, Book of Boba Fett Wednesday, and I'm really excited to talk about uh, Chapter Six. Uh, the the from the desert comes a stranger. You know, a very uh, Western motif styled title to go along with with a show that uh, has a good amount of, of aspects of the of the episode that are Western centric. As we as we do spend a good chunk of time on Tatooine. And, and build to our to our final episode for the season of the Book of Boba Fett. Um, and like I said, there's a lot to get to, there's a lot to get into, and I can't wait to get to the other side of the bump to do that. Uh, but before we do, I want to sort of address something that, that's been on my radar for the past week or so since Chapter 5 came out. Uh, and that is the, the sheer number of people who uh, seem to be really insanely upset at the the uh, exchange, the dialogue from the armorer to Din Djarin, uh, particularly in, in reference to uh, Bo-Katan and the, the curse of the Darksaber and it, it not being won uh, in battle and, and Bo-Katan being sort of gifted the, the Darksaber, if you will. Um, what, what I want to say is consider the source. I know there's a lot of people upset they consider the, what the armorer said to be a slight against Bo-Katan Kryze. Consider the source. I don't want to go as far as to say that the, the armorer is um, an unreliable narrator, but she is most certainly a character with a, uh, to put it in Star Wars terms, a quote-unquote certain point of view. Uh, and she definitely has an agenda, and she is is like the leader of a fanatic religious sect. And, and, and so consider the source when, when you are processing your feelings about what she said in relations to Bo-Katan being a cautionary tale and, and how that relates to the Darksaber. I did put my feelings out there about Bo-Katan as, as the wielder of the Darksaber. Listen, I don't ascribe to, to the notion that uh, she fulfilled some sort of prophecy by not winning the... Uh, uh, the dark saber uh, in 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 battle. Uh, I suspect this is more of a narrative created by uh, the, the the children of the watch, and and the perhaps the armor armor specifically created this 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 uh, narrative to to sort of shape the the mythology of the of the of the dark saber. So don't get too mad about it. All right, <laughs> don't get too upset. I understand they they're fi- they're firing shots at your girl. I get it. I get it. But Consider the source, and again, it's Star Wars, and, and all these characters are coming at it from a certain point of view. And uh, we'll, we will probably talk more about that particular exchange because it is a fascinating piece of uh, this show's mythology that they, that they built up uh, in Chapter 5 there uh, when we do our series kind of review, the, the sort of uh, after-action-slash-post-mortem report on, on the entire series, uh, which will hopefully be out later next week maybe by maybe by friday or so uh fingers crossed on that so so yeah chill take a step take a deep breath we're all okay most of us are all okay all right all right all right 
Let's get to it. Let's talk about this episode. We'll go ahead and get the particulars out of the way right, right now. That is the book of Boba Fett, chapter 6, From the Desert Comes a Stranger. February 2nd, 2022 is the original air date. Our plot, get ready for this one. It's deep, okay? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Mysteries are explored, and Boba Fett learns new information. Sort of. <laughs> uh, this episode is directed by the one, the only Dave Filoni, written by John Favreau, and said Dave Filoni. Our primary cast is Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett, Ming Na Wen as Fennec Shand, Pedro Pascal, and Brendan Wayne, and possibly Lutif Crowder also as the Mandalorian, Jordan Bolger as Scad, Sophie Thatcher as Drash, Carrie Jones returns as Black Chrysanthemum, David Peskesi as Mokshaz's Major Domo, Corey Burton. That Corey Burton? Oh, that's right. Spoilers are in full effect. Corey Burton returns as the voice of the one and only Cad Bane. Cad Bane. Jennifer Beals is Garza Thwip. W. Earl Brown is the weekly proprietor. And who else have we got? Oh, man. We got Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Spoilers again. Mark Hamill is the voice of Luke Skywalker. We got uh, Timothy Oliphant as Vanth. As you heard in the opening of this, of this episode, so many, so many juicy, juicy little things in here, and I want to give a little bit of extra credit to to uh, some other actors who I think you know, I think their names pop up in the credits, but it, it's a little hard to tell. Uh, so I want to make sure that we we get it out there, okay? Because there's some cool things going on in this episode, and the the proper people need to be be credited for it. You know, we talked about Corey Burton coming back to do uh, the voice of. Cad Bane, the, the only person who's ever done the voice of Cad Bane. But there's, there's an actual actor on set in the costume doing the whole thing, and that is uh, Dorian Kingy. I hope I said your name correctly, and that's very, very rad. Uh, and this time around, our, our, our stand-in body doubles for Luke Skywalker uh, are... We have two in this one. It's Graham Hamilton and Scott Lang. So Max Lloyd-Jones got to be an X-Wing pilot last week, but apparently he wasn't just on set being Luke Skywalker again. They got two different guys... I'm assuming one of them did a lot of the uh, the sort of training sequences, you know, when he's running through the woods and stepping on all those cool little things and doing all that all that stuff. So we want to give them a special shout out as well. So yeah, what else have we got? That's it. That's the cast. So now we can dive into it. We can get into into this episode because there is a ton to talk about. Um, but you know what we have to do first. It's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Hello, friend. I'm looking for Skywalker. I came to see the kid, Grogu. This episode opens back on Tatooine. We see moisture evaporators hard at work harvesting the water from the from the atmosphere of Tatooine, the harsh desert environment, and we we pan down to a group of pikes conducting illegal, nefarious activities, uh, only to be some- come across by the marshal himself, Cobb Vanth, Timothy Oliphant returning as Cobb Vanth, and uh, in full Marshal Raylan Givens mode uh, for this in confrontation with with the pikes. Uh, and I, I think it's a really great opening sequence. Lots of uh, tension, some good action here, nice little Western kind of shootout. And again, it felt a bit like watching an episode of Justified in space. Got no problem with that. Loved that show. And I also love the shot of uh, after after Vanth makes the, the remaining pike 
leave the chest of spice. Uh, Vanth opening it with his foot and then knocking it over, spilling the spice back out into the sand, into the winds of Tatooine to be dispersed back along the planet. Uh, I like this sequence a lot. Again, Vanth sort of like laying down the law, trying to sort of control the pikes to a certain extent, telling them that Mos Pelgo is off limits, don't come through here, or the people who do aren't coming back out. You know, effectively trying to protect his territory, protect his town from this from the pike presence that's starting to take over Tatooine, uh, and that's that's a bit of foreshadowing for what's going to be coming this episode, right? Like we had to imagine that at some point we were going to get back into what this show had been building towards for the past few weeks, and and we do that with uh, with the blaster fire bang, if you will, and I liked that start to the show. Uh, we talked last week, we speculated that we were probably going to spend some time with the Mandalorian again. You know, it was pretty open-ended that before he was going to help Boba Fett on his quest to be the, the daimyo of Tatooine, uh, he had some personal business to take care of first. He had to go see his little friend. And so that's where we go next. We catch up with Din Djarin rocketing through space uh, in his new N1 Starfighter. Still doesn't have a name yet. I hope he names it soon, personally. Uh, and we go to the planet... That would be home to Luke's Jedi Temple and, and Training Academy. Uh, but we, we're seeing it in the early stages, right? We're not getting that, that Kylo Ren-esque flashback like we did in the, in the sequel trilogy. We're seeing it being constructed by like these kind of like cool little androids. Uh, Din Djarin arrives on the planet, gets, comes out of his ship, right? Meets up with R2-D2, and he drops the, hello, friend. And it's just like watching the Star Wars Holiday Special all over again. Um, at least that's what I thought of. If... if Perhaps you, you, you connected that. Maybe maybe I'm imagining things. But yeah, Boba Fett in the holiday special says hello, friend, a lot. And so I, that was sort of the reference I connected because we know how much Favreau loves the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, there's, there's so much in this episode that happens. And going to Luke's Academy is sort of an interesting track to, to sort of begin to process, right? This is sort of what we talked about. This is sort of what they were, were hinting at at the season two finale of The Mandalorian, right? Grogu's going to go off with Luke Skywalker and train to be a Jedi Knight. So a lot of the immediate inference was going to be like, well, what does that mean for Grogu? We know what happens to Luke's Academy. We know what happens to Luke's students. Is Grogu going to get slaughtered by Kylo Ren? Uh, you know, and, and it seemed hard to think that was the path that they were going to go on. Um, <laughs> could you imagine if they had, my, my goodness, they go back in there, they digitally edit like a dead Grogu body into the, into that sequence. Oh my goodness. Talk about trauma. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. But it, it, it's sort of one of the, this is one of my little knocks on, on the episode in particular, right? This show had done so much to build its own mythology. And when I say this show, I mean the John Favreau shows in a sense, they are kind of all one show at this point. Uh, you know, because Again, a show titled The Book of Boba Fett for the last two weeks has barely had Boba Fett in it. And uh, that is an interesting sort of choice, right? It's, it's like you put Boba Fett in the name to kind of get you to come to the show, to, to come to the party. And then it's, it's almost like a bait and switch, but it's not quite. Because like, you, know, you know who Din Djarin is, right? You're almost getting like like a, a you know season 2.5 of The Mandalorian out of this. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I'm rambling a little bit here is between The Mandalorian and what they were doing on The Book of Boba Fett this season, they were building a really nice mythology for themselves. Uh, and, and again, it's Star Wars. Like There's going to be moments of intersection with, with other characters and other pieces of 
of that galaxy, of that universe. Sending Grogu off with, with Luke was going to be an interesting choice because, again, we sort of know where this goes. We sort of know how this story ends in a sense. So how was the training going to work out? Was it a long-term situation? Was there going to be some point when Grogu came back to the Mandalorian? Or whatever. Or was there a situation where the Mandalorian had to had to rescue Grogu from something that, that got out of loose control? You know, there was, there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of, of room to work. But when you are trying to weave your show's mythology around already existing Skywalker mythology, uh, it, it's a tough it's a tough road to hoe, if you will, because there's there's too much known, right? Like we know, and this is gonna sting. I I, I don't want to say this. I don't want to vocalize this. I don't want to go down this path path again with with uh, all you wonderful people listening to the show. But we know that ultimately Luke kind of fails as as a Jedi teacher, as a Jedi mentor. Uh, to to a new generation of students, you know that's depicted in the Last Jedi and the Force Awakens, and you know the whole sequel trilogy is is, is sort of spawned from Luke's failure as as a Jedi teacher, and and so as much as we enjoyed in this this week's episode watching these amazing sequences of of Luke training Grogu and, and attempting to help him overcome his traumas to to, to reintegrate himself with the Force to sort of you know, reaccess these these abilities that Grogu has because, as we've been told, Grogu is insanely powerful in the Force, um, but he's cut himself off of it selectively because of the traumas he's experienced. Uh, so seeing Luke do these things again—they're wonderful. They're they're spectacular. I was smiling from from ear to ear watching it last night uh, because it's so touching. It's so sweet. Uh, the way he is so patient with Grogu. The way he tr- attempts to connect with Grogu. And then as, as the sequence plays out throughout the, this first half of the episode, you know, we get the callbacks to Luke's training on, on Dagobah. We get the callbacks to Luke's training on the Millennium Falcon with, with, the, uh, with the remote blaster droid. Uh, and it's all wonderful and it's all fantastic. But at this point we know, A, Luke is going to fail as a teacher. Uh, and B, we know by now, especially those of us who have been watching Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels, that the Jedi teaching philosophies are uh, deeply flawed. Deeply, deeply flawed. Uh, they are, in, 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 as it relates to our, our heroes, our, our characters in the show, Din Djarin in particular, and, you know, they talked about it last week, how the Jedi are, are the antithesis of the Mandalorians uh, when it comes to attachment. And that's sort of like the frustrating aspect of this episode, when you, when you pull yourself back from the immediacy of it, and, and the enjoyment of seeing Luke doing this, these things with Grogu and calling back to his own teaching, his own time as a student. It's wonderful. It, don't get me wrong. I, I really, really enjoyed the crap out of it. But when you take that step back, you see that it's a, it's a tad problematic, especially once we get to the point where we find out that Ahsoka Tano is there. Ahsoka Tano, a, a character who has left the Jedi Order, who knows the flaws in the Order inside and out better than anyone, perhaps. Um, and she's just sort of letting Luke go about teaching Grogu the way that he was taught by Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda. And again, you can also make the claim that Yoda and Obi-Wan, they have failed as teachers as well because of what happened ultimately to Anakin. So that's a little bit hard to kind of process when you take a step back. When you're, when you're right there in the moment, like I loved it. It was so great. I loved seeing uh, Ahsoka on that planet and, and sort of being proud of the teacher that Luke's trying to become with Grogu. Uh, but at the same time, I also felt a little jip because 
I want I wanted to see that first moment when when Ahsoka introduces her, herself to Luke Skywalker. It's like, hey, I am Ahsoka Tano. I was your father's Padawan during the Clone Wars, um, and 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 sort of begin the beginning of that relationship. I really would like to see that, and maybe we will get to that in the Ahsoka Tano show. We'll have some flashbacks. She'll be in a, in a back to tank, and we'll flash back to, to earlier in the timeline. All right, that was a cheap shot. That was a cheap shot at Boba Fett. <laughs> I apologize, but I I do feel like as fans, I mean, you know, we want to see Luke and, ah- and Ahsoka interact, but I want to see that first moment. I want to see that moment where uh, uh, maybe Luke, through the Force, senses some sort of familiarity with this person through her familiarity with his with his father. I, I would have liked to have seen more of that. I would have liked to have gotten a little bit further into that. Um, the, again, there's so much good stuff on on this in this initial sequence here uh, with the Luke and, Luke and Grogu stuff. Uh, okay, the whole thing with the frogs. Uh, the walking with Luke, with with Luke providing like a little force assist to help Grogu kind of keep up, keep up the pace. I love all of it. It's so cute. Talking about Yoda, obviously, that's a big weak spot for me. I'm a sucker for some Yoda talk. All about it. I'm here for it. Here for it. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And then, obviously, the moment where Luke wants to help Grogu, um, you know, get it, sort of recover his memories in a sense. Uh, and, and unfortunately, sort of helps inadvertently helps him relive the moment the Jedi Temple was under attack on Coruscant when Order 66 was issued. And we see the 501st, you know, killing the Jedi who were protecting Grogu at the time. Uh, and it's 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 sort of heart-wrenching to see the look on Grogu's face as, as he's seeing these Jedi that he's he's probably had some sort of deep connection to. At some point, either either as his protectors or fellow students, or as their as his mentors at the time, uh, seeing them gunned down by the by the five out first, uh, by the way, who looked great in live action once once again, um, but for him to relive that, and then sort of like again, you start to again begin to understand his struggles as a Jedi student. Student, right? Why would he want to connect with the Force? He just felt so deeply the loss of all this life in the temple around him on course on during order 66. Uh, so it, it's painful. And I, I'm not sure Lee, Luke quite realizes what he was doing when he did that. Is Luke experiencing those memories with him? Or does he think he's just helping Grogu access memories that he's closed himself off from not realizing that he's helping him relive a trauma? Uh, I guess that's something that I'm very, very curious about um, potentially moving forward with, with these characters and Luke's potential, potential involvement with Grogu. Are you doing this for Grogu, or are you doing this for yourself? I just, I want to give him this. Why? So he will remember you? No. As a Mandalorian foundling, he should have this. It's his right. Foundling. Perhaps he is a Padawan now. Well, either way, this armor will protect him. If you are set on it, then allow me to deliver it. I came all this way. He's right there. 
Rogu misses you a great deal. If he sees you, it will only make things more difficult for him. I really did like this exchange between uh, Din Djarin and Ahsoka Tano. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It, it plays into the attachment that both of them feel for each other. Din, quite comfortable with having an attachment and an emotion towards uh, his connection with, with Grogu. Uh, but Ahsoka seems to help, is, is there to sort of point to him that, like, if Grogu's going to follow this path, then you really ought not be here. You're just going to make it harder because uh, the child is a child. And uh, he is attached to you and bonded to you and, and views you as a father. Uh, so Din, Din uh, reluctantly uh, passes off what will soon be revealed to be a, a small piece of a Besker chainmail armor uh, sized for Grogu to Ahsoka to give to to Grogu. Uh, again, I, I'm going to bring up something we've already talked about a little bit in, in our conversation for this episode. Uh Again, Ahsoka Tano is is a survivor of Order sixty six, most partially because she left the Order. She was no longer a Jedi, right? Uh, yes, she has that skill set, but she is sort of now beyond the Temple. But she still seems to adhere to many of the Jedi philosophies and its ways of life. But I feel like this would give her such a unique perspective on onto. Uh, the ways not to do things, not repeating the failures of the past. But here she is sort of adhering to them, right? Sort of uh, adhering to this not ha not having an attachment instead of maybe trying to think, take things in a different direction to see what could the Jedi be if they had attachment, if their hearts, if it was, if it was not forbidden for them to, to love and, and to uh, share that love in, in, a, in a more positive manner. Uh, you know, it's again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a story theme in a lot of Jedi story. A lot of Jedi stories. It, it, it's being hit on in the High Republic. It's being hit on in a lot of old canon and new canon. The the, the sort of notion that the the Jedi philosophies are hypocritical. Yeah. Uh, so you would think Ahsoka might be a little bit more privy to that. Uh, might be more aware. Have that sort of self awareness that the Jedi of her time during the Clone Wars didn't seem to have. Uh, but here she is, sort of enabling Luke to kind of make the same mistakes that, that her order did in her day. Uh, so I find that interesting. I, I also sort of want to know her motivation for wanting to see the order come back in this sort of the, the exact same way. Is, is, is she trying to honor the legacy of her teachers and her mentors? You know, all the Jedi who, who have, had fallen in 66, who had been a part of her life. You know, Plo Koon, Obi-Wan, Yoda, uh, Mace Windu, so many, many more. And, and Anakin Skywalker as well. That she wants to see Anakin's son be the one to bring the order back is—is is that why she's kind of buying into this? I, I hope that on the Ahsoka show we will get a chance to sort of dive into that a little bit more fully and kind of see where she's coming from with supporting this initiative of bringing back the order in this fashion. Um, you know, and maybe maybe Luke has a, has a couple different ideas that we're not quite aware of just yet, uh, and, and again maybe that's another thing to play out. But again, that's sort of. This dangerous slope that we're that we're 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 going downhill with right now, where our Mandalorian Boba Fett mythology is intertwining with Skywalker mythology, and and we know too much of Skywalker mythology to to get our to to want our show to be too intertwined because we know the end road there, we know where that all goes, you know, we don't know a lot of that journey, 
but we know the endpoints, and it's no place good for Grogu, <laughs> at least not as far as, as as we know at this point. I mean, again, there's room for lots of different things to happen. It's it's 20-ish years before Kylo Ren shows up and slaughters everybody. Uh, so, I, I, again, it's, it's, it's just sort of a curious thing. And, I, again, I wish I knew a little bit more about Ahsoka's train of thought here, why she isn't sort of guiding Luke a little bit more in a different direction. But as she says... Earlier in the episode, she's not here to influence others or, or to influence their choices. She's going to let them make their own choices and, I, I guess, support those choices, whether she feels strongly one way or the other about them. Uh, so, again, I like that sequence. I also like this sequence coming up here between Ahsoka and Luke. So I want to go ahead and play this for you all. So check this one out. The Mandalorian was here. As I told you. To share a strong bond. And you brought him a gift. Sometimes I wonder if his heart is in it. So much like your father. What should I do about him? Trust your instincts. Will I see you again? Perhaps. May the Force be with you. So now Luke has a decision to make as well. What to do? Will this training with with Grogu actually continue? Um, and I think, listen, let's, let's be frank about this. If you get to the end of this episode and there's any, any you have any doubt in your mind that perhaps Grogu is going to grab Yoda's lightsaber and stay with Luke, you're not paying attention at all. <laughs> like I just tried to, like, like we just talked about, Spending too much time in the Skywalker mythology is, is, is dangerous. It's a slippery slope. It, it is best to extract Grogu from the situation uh, immediately. The other side of this argument that I'd like to make is, and again, we haven't even gotten to, uh, yeah, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to table that for right now. I want to save that for ver the very, very end. When, whoops. <laughs> when we get to it. Uh, because I have thoughts on, on Luke and in the final moments of this episode that I do want to discuss and, and put out there for us all to consider, all right? But if, in the meantime, let's go ahead and get back to, uh, to Tatooine, okay? <laughs> let's check it out. This is the Mandalorian, Din Djarin. Thanks to him and Chrysanthemum, we now have enough experienced muscle to act as enforcers. The mods have done a thorough job of surveying the streets, but... We lack the numbers to cover our territory if an all-out war comes. We need foot soldiers. I might be able to help with that. And now Din Djarin takes off in his N1 to head over to Mos Pelgo. We get to fly by a Jawa Sandcrawler with the, the skull of the Krat Dragon from the Season 2 premiere of The Mandalorian adorning its its uh, roof, if you will. 
<laughs> and it's it's lovely to see uh, to see Din zipping around in the N1, and he's gonna go visit Cobb, Cobb Banth. I, it's interesting that Din's choice for uh, for for an army here for sort of a, a foot soldiers is the citizens of Mos Pelgo. It seems like a stretch to me that you would go to these sort of uh, these former miners, if you will, who yeah you you were able to rally them to to meet to link up with the sand people and 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 destroy a crate dragon uh, but that was about survival and, and while this battle is ultimately about survival as well uh, it's a lot harder to probably convince these people that that's what it's really about when it's not on their doorstep and i think that's basically what Cobb Vance is telling them what the the weekway proprietor of the of the Mos Pelgo bar or freetown as i want you to call it now uh, is, is trying to convey that hey, this isn't out here. That's for city folk. That's a city problem. Y'all in the city need to take care of your business. Out here, we're a okay. But as we know from our opening sequence, the Pikes are not treating it that way. They're treating the entire planet like it's their territory. They're not going to respect boundaries. Not going to respect uh, lines of delineation between the city and and the the territories out 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 in the wild. Uh, and I think Cobb Vanth reluctantly comes to that as well by the end of his conversation with the Mandalorian. But I do want to play a little snippet of it before we get into the next big bad segment of the show. There's actually two parts I want to play for you from, from Mando arriving in Mos Pelgo. So check out the first part, and then we'll come back. Haven't seen you since you gave up your armor. How have you been? More careful. Where's the little guy? Back with his own folk. That's too bad. I guess we both lost something we were fond of. I love that sequence so so much, with with Oliphant talking about how he had he's had to start being a lot more careful about having Beskar armor all over his body. It's pretty helpful in a gunfight if you got if you're covered in Beskar at least from the chest up, and he got that sweet helmet on. I mean, come on. And then obviously another character, just like last week, how Pelly refers to Mando without his little friend. Uh, so another character mentioning it, hammering it home, uh, that Mando is without his companion, his adopted son. However you want to look at it. All right, now here's the next sequence uh, between Vanth and Mando. Let's get into it right now. We're square, you and me. Yes, we are. But I didn't think you were one to back down from bullies. See, that's what I like about you, Mando. That big smile of yours lets you get away with anything. There's no easy way to ask for a favor. Tell you what, things are tough around here, but I'll see what I can do. So now Mando's taking off, heading back to Jabba's palace, Boba's palace, if you will, to to report back on on what's going on as far as getting some foot soldiers going on. Now, if you remember, also at the beginning of that sequence when Mando arrives in Mos Mos Pelgo, aka Freetown, uh, that deputy, that new deputy, uh, kind of a putsy guy. Uh, is is there to kind of chastise Mando for parking in the wrong spot, and if he wants to park and come into Mos Pelgo, he's got to park out there on the flats. Well, guess what? If he had, we would have had a confrontation between him and 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 uh, our our big debut live action debut character right there, because coming out from the flats, the other side of Mos Pelgo, aka Freetown, a a a figure 
that cuts a very familiar silhouette. To those of us who are in the know, those of us who have spent time with Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels, I believe, and most recently in the last season, the first season of Star Wars, The Bad Batch, uh, this is the most infamous bounty hunter of his time after the death of Jango Fett. I am, of course, talking about the Corey Burton-voiced Cad Bane. And listen, I wasn't shocked by this by this debut. I mean, we, we knew we were going to get something with, with Filoni uh, directing and writing this episode. Uh, and, and, and why not bring another Dave Filoni creation into the mix, into the fold? Cad Bane makes a ton of sense. Cad Bane has a history with, with Boba Fett uh, for and against. You know, we've talked about how uh, in, in the aborted season of, of, of uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, how he and Boba Fett, Cad Bane and Boba Fett, were going to get into a vicious battle with each other. Uh, we would find out that Cad Bane is the one who put the giant dent in his helmet. And, and you know, they have a history. Uh, and, and so I'm very curious to see how much of that history comes out in next week's finale if we get that uh, confrontation between the two characters. Uh, or if, there, if it's going to be one of the situations where, like, as, as often happens in Star Wars, where so much is just left unsaid. <laughs> because that could easily be the case as well. But, it, again, it makes sense for, for Bane to be working with the Pikes, for him to be working with the Pike Syndicate, and, and, and uh, kind of being their enforcer on the ground. And uh, he's going to make sure he's there to make sure that Cobb Vanth and the people of Freetown, aka Moss Pelgo, don't side up with Boba Fett. They 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 keep themselves they keep to themselves and stay out of it and let things settle on their own. So let's go ahead and play this confrontation between Vanth and Cad, freaking Bane. Whatever Fett is paying you will match. And all you've got to do is stay put and let things play out. Hey, the marshal ain't for sale. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Is that friendly advice or a threat? Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer who worked for the Empire. You tell your spice runners Tatooine's closed for business. This planet's seen enough violence. You should have never given up your armor. Alright, so what happens next? It's the standoff. This is the classic Old West standoff here. We have it between Cad Bane, a character whose whose look is a very heavily modeled after Lee Van Cleef from the good, good, the bad, the ugly. So it makes a ton of sense. 
But I, again, another one of those moments where I just was so delighted to see Cad Bane uh, brought to, to life, our, our favorite Duro bounty hunter from the Clone Wars era. And I think he looks pretty darn good in live action. The only thing I, th- I, I sort of wondered about was it sort of kind of seemed like uh, Corey Burton had slowed down uh, Cad's uh, speech patterns just a little bit because I think they probably had to slow him down to kind of make sure that that prosthetic work that the actor's wearing was going to be capable of, of moving in a proper way so that the words were coming out. As the words were coming out, it looks like he's actually talking them. It's not like some ADR voiceover kind of thing. You know, Cad in the animated series can talk a little bit faster because the animation can keep up better. This, this, uh, this prosthetic they're using which I'm assuming has all kinds of things in, in the face to make the lips move in the right way. Or perhaps the actor is able to do that on his own. I don't know enough about makeup and effects to, to really say for sure. Probably, again, probably that's why his speech pattern seems to be a little bit slower, a little bit more of an old Western kind of drawl than, than uh, what we're familiar with from Cad. Or it could just be the Cad Bane, he's just getting older. He's slowing down just a little bit, but he ain't slowing down that much because he's in a, he's in a standoff against Cobb Vanth and the deputy. And the deputy gets a little, little trigger for happy. And Cad Bane wings, badly injures Cobb Vanth, and then blows the crap out of the deputy. Just shoots him all to heck. And it's, I'm not going to lie, I found it rather delightful because I love seeing it. When your favorite uh, bad guys are keep doing bad guy things and uh, they keep doing them so, so very, very well. And uh, again, leaning back into the Western motif of this of this showdown, uh, you have the townspeople like looking out of windows, look peering behind doors to kind of see the confrontation and what's going to happen to their their local their local hero, uh, Cobb Vanth, and and so it plays it really really nicely. And I, I did also chuckle that it seemed like the majority of the citizenry, or at least everyone on camera, ran to Cobb Vanth as Cad Bane started making his way out of town. Like, they knew for sure the deputy was dead. Like, they're like, hey, don't check on him. Cobb needs all the back that he can get his hands on. <laughs> that guy's deader than dead. <laughs> so they, they kind of brought a, a chuckle out of me uh, last night in the middle of the night. And again, when I watched it this morning. So uh, just an awesome moment with Cad Bane coming into, into live action. And uh, again, I, I, I hope the promise is there. Uh, for more of him on next week's finale. I love the way they, they did the eyes in this. I don't know if they're enhanced in any sense with, with, with computers. I'm sure it's a very good probability that they are. But they just have this, this wonderful bloodshot redness to them that I just really, really like. It's almost like a, like a supernova in his eyes. Uh, it's really cool, really good effect. looks great. And, and again, just seeing Cad Bane in live action now, uh, a wonderful character from Star Wars The Clone Wars. If you've not spent time with Cad Bane, then I don't even know what you're doing here. No, just kidding. I'm not, I'm not that guy. Don't worry. But Star Wars The Clone Wars, if you haven't watched it, go check it out. It's pretty great. And uh, you can watch it on Disney Plus whenever you want. Pretty rad stuff. All right. And then uh, the, the next big move here is at the sanctuary. We, we cut back to the sanctuary. We see it's a, a bustling hive of activity. Uh, uh, people gambling and drinking. The band's playing. Uh, and then two pikes come walking in. They sit down. They have their Camtono with them. We didn't mention the, the reappearance of the Camtono at the beginning of the, of the show. Had all the coins in it for the spice deal. But now two pikes come in with another Camtono. 
and they sit down at a bar, or I'm sorry, at a table in the sanctuary. Garza Whip sends her people over to kind of ascertain the situation. They place a drink a drink order with the droid, uh, and then they get up. But they seem to be minus their Camtono. Uh, to me, this is a callback. This is straight out of The Untouchables from 1987. Brian De Palma, so good. If you've not seen The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery, by all means, check it out. About Al Capone and, and the Chicago mob. Woo! Woo! Good stuff. But that's kind of how this movie opens with a scene very similar to that. Uh, a guy with a briefcase walks into a business, has a cup of coffee, leaves, forgets his briefcase, and blows the place up. That's sort of kind of what the scene is. And I think you've probably seen this in other things, too. There, I, there might even be... I'm not... A Godfather aficionado, but I would not be surprised if there's a similar thing in the Godfather movies as well. Very gangster-esque kind of thing. And I think that's the connection we're making with the Pikes, right? We're doing like a, an American crime story kind of thing. So that makes a ton and ton of sense. Uh, and that's sort of our, our indication that the war has begun. The Pikes have now officially attacked Boba Fett's territory. You know, Cad Bane's already trying to cut him off from potential reinforcements and, and supplies, having foot soldiers from Mos Pelgo. Uh... And and that's where we cut back to Luke on Tatooine. Um, ooh, not on Tatooine. Luke on his tra- on the planet where he's having his training academy, which, as far as I know, is still unnamed. I tried going back into my uh, Kylo Bent Ren miniseries in the comics, and I still don't. Th- I, I didn't do an in depth reread or anything like that, but I don't think they named the planet in that either. Um, so we, you know, sorry. I, I I'll, I'm going to try and endeavor more closely to find those details uh, before next week. We'll see what we can do. But yeah, now we go back and Luke is going to present Grogu with a choice. And I don't know how I feel about this. You know, we, we've heard it said many times that, that uh, you know, only cis deal in ultimatums. Or, and and uh, it's sort of like Luke sort of is like, okay, it's this or this, bro. You got to pick one. You're either going to give, you can get Yoda's re- reconstructed lightsaber they built on Dagobah after losing his in the battle with the Emperor. Uh, and but you have to be. That means you're staying here, and we're gonna do some Jedi training, and we're gonna do some stuff. Or you can put on this this Beskar chainmail armor that that Din Djarin brought for you, but it means I have to return you to the Mandalorian, and you will follow that path. And again, it, it's uh, it's 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 dealing in absolutes, right? It, not to the extreme of the Sith, but it it bo- it bums me out. That Luke couldn't think of another way, right? Like, we, you know, we just talked. Uh, if you, if you, again, if you, I mentioned the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, but it also came up last week in in Chapter Five when the armor is filling in Din Djarin about the dark saber, and we refer to to Tar Vizsla, uh, the, the the first Mandalorian to be inducted into the Jedi Order, a, a Jedi who seemed to balance both things, right? Being a Mandalorian and being a Jedi Knight. So. This this notion that the two things cannot mingle, we know there's a history there. At one point, yes, it was a thousand years ago, but why can't the two things come together? Why can't the Mandalorian and the Jedi come together once again? Now, again, we don't know. Well, we do know. We do know. They say it in, in season one. There is history. There is violent history between the, the Mandalorians and the Jedi Order throughout uh, the Star Wars timeline, right? Uh, so it seems, and again, their their philosophies are diametrically opposed. But Tar Vizsla was this character, was this was this person who was able to have uh, his feet in both worlds. Why couldn't Grogu have his feet in both worlds? Why is Luke telling him it's this or this? 
and again, we, we, we harp on, or I harp on sort of the failings of the Jedi philosophy for, for being too rigid, too strict. Uh, and, and Luke seemingly ready to repeat the mis- the mistakes of, of, uh, of the past. And again, I don't want to go down that road necessarily and spend too much time talking about Luke, uh, as, as sort of a failed mentor, a failed teacher. That, that is a conversation we can have another time. But yeah, that, that seems to be what's going on here. And again, I, I'm going to say it again. If you think this choice is even a, really a choice, you're not paying that much attention because I think we have to distance ourselves from the Skywalker timeline as much as possible for this show to kind of keep growing on its own. Um, so that, that's how I feel about it. And I, there's another thing I want to sort of briefly address as well. Uh, some criticism I read about this episode was that it leans too much into the familiar, right? That it leans too much into bringing back Timothy Oliphant and, and Moss Pelgo and calling back to the Krat Dragon and all this stuff. And uh, I don't buy any of that for a second. I think this show has earned that. This show has built its own mythology. And if it wants to pull on threads that it has established, particularly when we're doing something that is is centered around Tatooine and we've spent a good chunk of time on Tatooine uh, in two seasons of The Mandalorian, why aren't we going to break part of this world, right? Why aren't we going to make this a fully realized thing? And what's interesting about what Cobb Vanth tells Cad Bane right before he gets shot is that Tatooine's seen too much violence. Uh, so we're taking a really big planetary look at Tatooine and seeing it was more of just, instead of just like batches of, of moisture farmers and, and sort of the criminal element controlling Mos Aspa and stuff like that, there's, there's a, 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 another faction of like the people and their, their side of things to kind of explore as well as this as this crime war is about to erupt, this gang war, if you will, is about to erupt on Tatooine. So inter- interesting stuff. Um, and again, if, if I'm going to continue to criticize the show a little bit, yeah, it's a bummer we don't get more Fett. I'm not quite sure why the show is just is called the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, we we've barely spent that much time with the character, especially the last two weeks. Uh, I, I feel like we could have called it something else. Star Wars is now seem to be fixated on on naming shows after a singular character. And I feel like it's almost to the detriment of the show because uh, what have people been talking about the last two? I mean, they're they're going to talk about it today and they talked about it last week too. Boba Fett's not even Boba Fett wasn't in last week's show. He's barely in this show. Uh, I think he was in The Empire Strikes Back more than he was in this episode. So why why are we so focused on, on these characters like is is that because like oh we got to call it the book of boba fett because that's what's bringing people to the party and and i don't think that's the case i think you can call it star wars tattooing or star wars crime war or you know gang war or whatever you want to call it and we we I, we'd watch it we'd really watch it like and and you know like i sort of pitched to to people a million years ago you know give me a, a star wars show where all these characters live and breathe in the same universe and they interact and they weave in and out of the, of the storyline uh, as needed, as required by the storyline. Uh, I'm okay with that. Like I'm okay with Din Djarin being sort of reinserted back into the storyline because it's all part of the mythology that really started with the Mandalorian. So it, it, it does make sense from a certain point of view. <laughs> but I can understand some people's frustration. I mean, and obviously it makes jokes and memes a lot easier when, when Disney's kind of just like, yeah, yeah, we're just gonna call it this and this. Well, okay, cool. All right, so you know, again, we have the Obi Wan Kenobi show coming up. Is Obi Wan really gonna be in it for all every single episode? You know, Cassian Andor's coming up. Is Cassian really in every single episode, or or do we minimum do we fade out to go to some other a B storyline or whatever? 
And I don't have a problem with B storylines. By all means, weave in more more storylines uh, around our characters. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, the fact that those shows are in, in different timelines makes it so that they will probably be mostly all about Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Diego Luna's Cassian Andor. But I, I think it's a... I don't know if it's a justified or fair criticism, but I understand where that criticism is coming from. You know, you call the book of Boba Fett and you're like, you're, you're barely a pamphlet of Boba Fett. Again, I, could, I couldn't resist the little, a little joke either. But what do you, But again... I'm I'm digging it. I like what they're doing. I like what we're going for, and and I and I can't wait to see where we end up next week. Uh, and again, I enjoyed the crap of this episode. I, I point out my my sort of nits to pick that I that I have uh, for the sake of discussion and and for a food for thought. Basically, think about what I said. Am I right or wrong? Do you agree or disagree? Am I nuts? I'm probably nuts. But, but what do you all think? And again. I love Star Wars. We love Star Wars, but it's not flawless. It's not beyond fault. Uh, I know. Every, I know everyone likes to worship at the altar of uh, Filoni and Favreau, and and they're doing great stuff. And I will never knock it as far as that goes. I will. You will never hear me say no. They take Star Wars away from them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. But it doesn't mean it's 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 flawless. I love what they're doing though. By and large, overall, any criticisms I have are like way way down at the bottom. Keep this stuff coming. Keep them doing their thing, and and uh, let's see how this wraps up. And and I'm excited. I'm excited. We have the we have a potential for a lot of action in next week's big finale. And if I were to express one potential concern for next week, as I have stated my my belief firmly, that Grogu will in fact choose to don the Beskar chainmail armor, which will require Luke taking him back to the Mandalorian. Well, the Mandalorian's on Tatooine, which means that Luke Skywalker will come back to Tatooine uh, and have to side with Boba Fett, potentially, in a war against the Pikes to save his own home planet. So does that mean there'll be two seasons of a show, of a Star Wars show, Mandalorian Season 2, and the Book of Boba Fett Season 1, in which Luke Skywalker will be required to come and save the day? Possibly. Possibly. I feel like we're almost almost certainly getting that set up. I don't know how comfortable I am with that. You know, having uh, these characters that we spent the season with get caught into a situation and wait for a Jedi Knight to swoop in and save the day. Uh, but again, I I loved Luke so much at the end of season two of The Mandalorian. You know, seeing him get to do all those amazing things, I won't be mad at it. I won't be mad at it. And I, I know... Because someone's gonna someone's gonna throw it in my face that I don't think we, that I put a tweet out there uh, after she's after episode one I think of, of this show is like I don't think we need Luke Skywalker in the show, and I still don't think we need Luke Skywalker in the show, but it seems like we're gonna get some more Luke Skywalker in the show, uh, particularly in regards to Boba Fett here at the, in, in the climax. We shall see. We shall see what the future holds. We you know we're only a week away. We're only a week away from it. But yeah, it's it's been a delight. Again, I, the last two chapters, I think I've really, really enjoyed the most. Again, last night had so many fun callbacks, so many fun things. But when you take a step back, there are things to talk about. Uh, whether you agree or disagree, that's okay. Let me know what you think. Let me know if I'm nuts. You know where to find me. I'm on social media at Mando underscore Vision, Twitter, Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Hit me up. Let me know what you think. Let me know if I'm right or wrong or nuts. 
There's probably some other options too. You you just let me know. I'll read I'll read your emails no matter what. I promise. I promise. I promise. Uh, before we get out of here, we have to thank some really important people, some really special people. They are the ones who help keep the lights on. They keep the show running and sounding hopefully as good as I think it sounds. And those are the official Mandovision Maniacs, which you can join over at patreon.com forward slash Mandovision. You can join fellow maniacs and gain access to sweet bonus content. Thank you to our current Patreons, the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman of Bayho, Jeff Nail, Jeff co-hosting The Ring in the Air, a great music podcast I'm a fan of. Check them out. Thanks to Evil Circle, the evilest, the evilest of all circles. The Squidmaster General, Mr. Brian Broussard, the New Jersey Devil, Mark Wegemer, our very own Joker and Harley Quinn, Brian and Krista of Pride Brewing Company, right here in San Diego, California, and now in Baltimore, Maryland as well. The Beer Hop Brigadier General, Jesus Beer Hops. The Silent Assassin, he who should not be named, who might need to get a phone call from Boba Fett at this point. He probably could use a Silent Assassin right about now. And of course, Syndicate Ram, co-host of the Come On Is So Good podcast, uh, a show that we are very good friends with. And uh, I have been on several, several times. So thanks to everyone for being here, for sticking around. I hope you've enjoyed this breakdown, this review of Chapter 6 of the Book of Boba Fett. From the desert comes a stranger. Yeah, that's a good one. Like I said, even with my nitpicks and my criticisms, this is like an eight and a half. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe it's my, 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 my sheer unabashed love for... Uh, Din Djarin and Timothy Oliphant together, uh, but yeah, and and Cad Bane. Just I mean, it it gave me so many things that I wanted, and of course, we get to spend time with Grogu, and I get to knock things over, and <laughs> but a delight, a sheer absolute freaking delight. Love this one. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, on Monday, you will get Star Wars: The Clone Wars rewatch Mondays as normally scheduled, and. And a bonus show for Star Wars Podcasting Day. We have a special tribute lined up uh, paying respects and homage to the 25th anniversary of the Star Wars Special Editions that came out uh, 25 years ago. They began 25 years ago, I think, just the other day. Uh, so this, we're, we're going to talk about those, the impact they had on us. Uh, and I keep saying they and us because, fingers crossed, I'm going to have a guest with me on that one. And we'll get into it and we'll talk about our memories seeing the special editions and what we thought about them, especially as uh, older fans who grew up with the original trilogy uh, unadulterated for, for many, many years. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see it. So two shows on Monday, regular Star Wars The Clone Wars Rewatch show and a bonus show for Star Wars Podcasting Day. And then we'll be back here on Wednesday to close out the book of Boba Fett. All right? Let's get out of here. You know what that means. This podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. way.